Well, if you didn't uh, re realize it before, you realize it now, your preacher is just uh, a normal person who struggles with things. And then, of course, they have to sing a song about it. Then we have to sing a song about faith. <laughs> All right. Uh, raise your hand if you grew up little kid going to church. You had to go to church, mom or dad. Raise your hand if you had to grow up going to church. Okay. Um, that's really cool. If you look around, maybe half of the people here uh, went to church when they were when they were little. That's really cool because uh, real life has been around for almost 15 years, and for 15 years, we've run about 50 to 70 percent uh, of the people who come on a regular basis who didn't grow up going to church. I, I think that's really cool. Um, but if you did grow up going to church, there's something you probably remember about being a kid that that if you didn't grow up going to church, you probably, you probably didn't have this. You don't know, you don't know what it's like. And, and so, but, but here's what it was like for the rest of us. If you did grow up in church, you're going to remember and have some panic attacks later today. Um, there was this thing, if, if you grew up as a little kid in church, there was this thing that was just, it was a struggle every single Sunday. And, and it had to do with, there is a gap between the time that you get up in the morning and get dressed and the time that you get to church. There's a gap, right? And, and in that gap, it was basically like, I, I don't know, like living in um, North Korea or something. Because from the point you got dressed to the point you got to church, you could not get dirty because then mom would blow a gasket, right? Like when you're a kid, like you, have, you get up and you get dressed and then you want to go be a kid and you can't be a kid because you're going to do something that's going to get your Sunday clothes dirty and they're probably the only Sunday clothes that you have and you cannot show up to church to all the old ladies at church with dirty church clothes. This is not acceptable. And, and so, oh, how many Sunday mornings was it just life was horrible because I'm just being a kid and, you know, then you got, you got to have breakfast and you want to go out and do stuff. And so you get to church and you just have to, you can't get, you can't get dirty. Like you were expected to look clean when you got to church. And, and, and there would be hell to pay from mom or dad if you if you got dirty before you got to church. And so, like, there's this moment. Sunday begins um, when you get up and you get dressed for church, but Sunday didn't start until, you know, all, all the grandmas and grandpas that you had at church um, actually see how nice you look 
for church. And they say, oh, you look so nice today. You look so sharp today. So uh, last week, I promised you this all ties in somehow. Maybe it won't. I don't know. Last week, we, we began with Mark's opening words in, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 1. And, and he said this. He said, this is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the Son of God. And we went, we went through that um, pr- pretty well uh, last week. But he's like, this is, how it, this, is, this is the beginning. This is how all of this good news, this gospel, all of this stuff um, begins. And it began very quickly, and it began very plainly. It's like, here it is, and then he throws all of this stuff out there. If you want to follow Jesus, in the first few verses of Mark chapter 1, if you want to follow Jesus, you must confess repent and be baptized like that's that's what he says in fact remember we looked he says baptism or baptize six times in five verses in the first nine verses of of mark chapter one and so if you have never followed jesus in in baptism you're gonna look at that and go that i think that's a pretty i think that's a pretty is it working is it not working I think that's a pretty important thing to do. By the way, uh, the rest of you might not, might not know this, um, but the live stream is going in and out. Are we on or are we not? We're on? Okay. So we're losing video in the live stream this morning as well. Uh, so if we lose you, I'm, I'm sorry. I think the, vid- the audio was going through before, but just not so. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what's happening. Anyway. Um, if you haven't, followed Jesus in, in, in baptism, you can see in Mark that it's pretty important. So we, we want to help you. If you get a mobile device or you can go back to Connection Hub, reallifecc.us forward slash baptism. There's all kinds of information about that. And then the form, if you're ready to take that step and you haven't yet, uh, we, we want to help you and explain that to you and walk through that with you. So um, you can do that on your mobile device uh, from your home or here, or you can stop back at the Connection Hub uh, after church, and, and we can help you um, do that and get that set up. Uh, Mark wasn't just setting the stage for the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He was telling all of us how to get ready, how to be prepared to follow Jesus. And, and he tells us that, that if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be prepared in the beginning to follow Jesus in his life, that, that we need to recognize our sin. And we need to turn from it. That's what repentance means. And, and then we need to align ourselves with the death and resurrection of Jesus through water baptism. That's a, a place where we die to self and we can live like Jesus. And so Mark says, this is where you begin. You as an individual, every person, this is where you begin. You have to decide to follow Jesus. And then you have to take steps. Repentance, confession, baptism, following what Jesus wants you to do. That's the beginning of this process. Today, we're going to start to see what this good news that Mark talks about in chapter 1 actually means in real life. And how it drastically changed the way that the Jewish people had been living for thousands of years. 
So we have the beginning, like getting up in the morning and, and getting dressed for church. And then we have the start that we're going to look at today. When we actually begin to follow Jesus and, and what, that looks, what that looks like. So for thousands of years, the Jewish people had been trying to avoid everything that was deemed dirty. Spiritually dirty, ritually dirty, physically dirty. They were trying to avoid all of these things in attempt to be ritually clean and, and therefore spiritually clean so that they could be in contact with God. So for a Jewish person, they had to be outwardly clean. They, they couldn't touch any uh, dead bodies. They couldn't walk over any graves. They couldn't touch anybody who was sick or who was lame. Um, for, I mean, for, for about uh, seven days or so out of the month, you couldn't touch your wife if you were a guy because then that could make you unclean and then you couldn't go worship and you couldn't offer your sacrifices and you couldn't do the things that God wanted you to. So there's all these rules and regulations about what was clean, what was unclean. There were certain foods, animals that you couldn't eat, others that you could. And so they spent all their time trying to avoid all of these things that were dirty so that they could have a relationship with God, so that they could get to God and be spiritually clean. And then, and then Mark shows up and he's talking about Jesus and, and basically says Jesus shattered that idea. Like Jesus kind of comes on the scene and he's like, this thing that you've been doing for thousands of years, I'm just going to do the opposite. Again, I, I, that's not a rule. It's not a thing anymore. And he just completely breaks this wide open. Jesus showed that he was spiritual by getting ritually dirty. And it was the complete opposite of what the Jewish people had done for so many thousands of, of years. It was this incredible paradigm shift. And it wasn't easy for them to, to follow that. In fact, it's why Jesus faced so much opposition from the people because what he was saying, what he was advocating, what he was doing was so contrary to what they had grown up and what they'd been taught was the right thing to do for so, so long. What his followers had to understand was this fundamental piece of the spiritual puzzle, and, and it's this, that we look most like Jesus when we move toward others. And the Jewish people, they spend all of their time avoiding others. Because by, by being close to somebody else, I might become spiritually dirty. You think of the, um, the parable that Jesus told about the um, Good Samaritan. So there's a Jewish man, and he's coming down from worship, and he gets attacked, and he's beaten, and he's, and he's bloody, he's left for dead, and he's on the side of the road. And, and Jesus says, all of these religious Jewish people come by this, this Jewish man, this, this uh, 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 I don't know what the word I'm trying to use. This, this uh, you know, it's, uh, it's like an American, and you're an American, and I'm an American, whatever. You know what I'm trying to say? Countryman. It was a countryman. It's just one of those days. People, okay, a little grace. So it was a countryman. And, and so these, these people, and Jesus listing these Jewish people who come by, and they see this Jew, and he's beaten, and they... And they've got all these spiritual reasons why they can't. Well, I can't um, touch this guy. A priest says, I can't um, touch this guy and help even though he might, because he might be dead. And if he's dead, I then will be unclean and I can't go worship. Um, or, or I might help him and touch him and I'm going to touch blood and blood is unclean. You can't get on it. And so then I can't go worship. 
There's all these things. And so Jesus says, here this guy comes who's a Samaritan, an enemy of the Jewish people. Like they hated each other, like a racial thing. And the Samaritan helps the Jew. And he doesn't care about that stuff. And, and the Jews would look at that and go, oh, that's terrible because he, he made himself unclean, a dirty Samaritan. Jesus is like, no, you don't get it. He's the only one who did what you were supposed to do. And so Jesus, like, like just totally turned this thing upside down. Um, we look most like Jesus when we move towards others instead of avoiding them. And so here at Real Life, we're going to break this down into three key um, areas that we're going to look at today. And, and the first is the, the marginalized, the, the lost and the least, okay? Those people who are not connected to Jesus, they're not followers of Jesus, they're not living like, like Jesus, they don't care anything about Jesus. That's the lost, spiritually lost. And the least would be those people who are open to, to Jesus, but their life is, is terrible. So for some reason, it's a physical, um, mental, uh, maybe addiction or something, um, maybe some other struggle, uh, they just don't have anything. And so everybody else in the world avoids them, right? So the lost and the, the least are, are people in our society that are, that are marginalized. And, and then um, there's the other side of it, and, and that's the, the ministry, Christian service. So uh, being a pastor, a teacher, a servant, a volunteer, a group leader, working in our kids' ministry or, um, or, or our nursery or being a part of the welcome team. Um, in your life, using your gifts and your talents and your abilities to benefit and bless others within the church, that's what we're talking about in terms of, of ministry. Loving God and loving others and functioning in that as, as a part of your um, job or, or what you do and how you serve Jesus. And then the last part is um, the, the mission. And so um, the mission, you understand we support missions. So whether that's mission work here, like in, in El Dorado or in Germany, uh, like our church planners over there, um, being an online host like uh, Tanya and her husband Gary um, do for us every week. Um, it's just helping every person possible find real life in Jesus and look more like him every day, wherever God might lead you to do that. So there are three areas that we're going we're gonna to talk about. Um, dealing with or, or being engaged with the marginalized, being engaged in some sort of ministry, whether it's full-time or part-time or volunteer, and, and then being a part of the, the greater mission as every day or um, like out on the, the mission field. We're actually going to see these three areas played out in the first two chapters of Mark's good news. So as Jesus interacts with um, an individual with leprosy, when he partners with four friends to, to bless their lame friend, when he spends time with the spiritually lost, there, there's one thing that we see clearly about, about Jesus. And that's that Jesus cared more for the human than he cared about their humanity. And, and, I, and I realize we kind of look at those two things that we're like, well, those, that's like the same thing, really. Um, but here, here's what I mean. Jesus didn't care about a person's frailty or failures or infections or their faults. The, the part of humanity that keeps us from being able to live perfect and holy and pure lives, which is what the Jews were trying to do unsuccessfully. Jesus cared about the person. And, and he basically looked at people and said, I, I love you, 
regardless of everything else that's going on. It's why when the religious leaders brought him the woman that had been caught in adultery, by the law, she was unclean and therefore deserved punishment. But Jesus looked past that humanity, that sinful humanity, and he looked at her as a, as a human, as a person, and, and, he, and he cared about her. He had compassion for her. And so um, we're, we're going to dive in this morning and see how this plays out in Jesus' life. And we're going to learn how to respond to others in our own lives as well. And so let's look beginning in Mark um, chapter 1, verse 40 and 42. And I'm going to read this one. We're going to look at some other uh, passages in Mark 2. And I'm just going to, re- I'm going to skim through them because I talk too long. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, If you're willing, you can make me clean. But Jesus was, was indignant. He was, just, he was frustrated with, with the guy. And he reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was clean. Now we don't know about um, leprosy uh, very much um, as it was talked about in the Bible. Really, leprosy is like any kind of skin disease that separated you. And, and they didn't have the modern medicine that we have today. And, and so they were um, considered unclean and, and, and they, got, um, they got kicked out of town. What was important here is that if someone was diagnosed by a, by a priest, because they were the ones who did the as having leprosy, whatever it, that meant, um, that individual was, was quarantined. And that doesn't mean that they, they had to go home and had to stay home for a while and they couldn't associate with anybody. They were quarantined from the entire Jewish community. They could not live in a city. They could not live in their home. They could not be around their family. They could not be around anybody um, at all who didn't also have leprosy. And, and so, um, you know, we talk about a six-foot rule here and under uh, COVID rules and whatever. Um, for a person who was leprous, it was 10 feet. And imagine if we add this to our um, rules for COVID now. If a leprous person saw somebody approaching them, they would have to yell out, unclean, unclean, so that the other person knew to avoid them. Imagine what would happen if we had to do that today. Got my, I got my mask on and whatever, but I'm still going around yelling, unclean, everybody stay away from me. Uh, people were not just uncomfortable around a leprous person. They weren't just like, like oh, that's too bad. Um, they, they, were, uh, they were terrified of them. Because whatever it is you have, you might give me, and then I will be like you. I'll have to leave my family. I'll have to live outside of, of town. I won't have anything. It, it will be, it was just, it was not a good life at, at all. Leprous people spent the remainder of their lives, however long they had, uh, suffering not just with the disease as their body kind of fell apart, but they suffered the pain of the loss of their family and their friends, the, the fear that was with, they didn't know what was going to happen to them. People treated those with leprosy horribly. Outside of just the isolation, they, they lost personal contact and touch, conversation. It was a miserable, miserable life. And so leprous people were marginalized. And in a means that they were excluded from society, a society that just largely and wholly ignored them. And, and we don't see much about um, leprosy today. 
But we do know a lot about the marginalized because we do it politically, we do it medically, and Christians are really good at marginalizing others religiously. So uh, let me break those down just really quickly. Um, we marginalize people politically. You're a Trump supporter, you're a Biden supporter. So I'm going to make general statements about you based on what I know about you. And, and, and we do this, right? I mean, you, you understand that, that we do this. When you're driving down the road and you see a car with a bumper sticker that says Trump on it or a car with a bumper sticker that says Biden on it, you immediately make assumptions about those people based on which side you're on and what sticker you've got on the back of your car. And what happens is, we saw this play out in the media, um, uh, particularly, I think, with Trump when he ran um, the first and second time. Well, look, if you're a Trump supporter, you're, you're an idiot, you're a racist, you're a bigot, you're a misogynist. I mean, they, they finally, they got so tired of making the list, it got so long, that they just started saying xenophobe, like, we're, like everything. Doesn't matter what is everything. And, and if you support Trump, that's who you are. You're a horrible, terrible, awful, miserable person. And so I don't have to listen to anything that you say. Right? Now, now look, we're in the heart of Kansas. We've got lots of Republican people, probably a lot of folks who voted for Trump. I'm just going to say, you know how that feels, and you have done it to the other side. Like I'm, I like, can I just tell you, Rook, I'm like, this wasn't a part of the thing, but I'm really tired of seeing people on Facebook or on social media get on there and just say, look, if you believe in this or you're a Democrat or you're a Republican or you believe in vaccine or not vaccine, like, just unfriend me because I don't want to. Here's what I want to do. When I see people post that, I want to unfriend them. Because I'm just like, you... You are, you, you are marginalizing all of these people and you're only surrounding yourself with people who think and act and look and talk and blah, blah, blah like you and that is a miserable way to live and so stop it. Just knock it off. It's okay for people to disagree politically. It is okay. I don't care who you voted for. I mean, I care who you voted for. But I, I don't care. Like, it's not going to stop me from having a conversation with you or whatever. So we marginalize people politically. We marginalize people medically, vax, anti-vax, mask, anti-mask, whatever it is. And, and here's what we do. Here's how we, here's how we marginalize. If you're for the vaccine, you're a sheep. And you can't be trusted, and you want all of this stuff, we might as well become some communist country because you're just doing whatever they tell you to do. That is not true. It's not true. There are people who are taking the vaccine because they absolutely believe that it's the right thing to do for them. I don't care. You got the poke. I, that's great. I'm glad for you. I'm happy for you. I hope it works for you. We got to stop separating those Things. I'm not going to get to anything I was going to get to today. Um, here, here's the other one. Christians, we're really, we're super good about marginalizing, um, marginalizing people. Um, we, we can figure out a way to weasel out of the mandate to love God and, and love others by simply labeling people um, and marginalizing them, the people that we disagree with. And so as Christians, we might say something um, like, well, they're a homosexual. And so I don't have to love them. 
I don't have to be nice to them. I don't have to reach out to them. I don't have to welcome them. I, like I, have, I don't have to do any of those things because they've separated themselves from me and my clean little world. Or, or when we do the same thing with addicts, we do the same things with, with Democrats, at least here in this, in this state. We do the same thing with Democrats. We do the same thing with people on the other side. And, and we go, well, this is your decision. You did that, blah, 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 blah. And so I don't have to do what God has told me to do. And so we marginalize people. But what did the text say Jesus did? Do you remember? Well, you're all close. He touched him. He touched him. And we're not told how long this individual had leprosy, but I'm guaranteeing, I'm telling you, that for that entire time, not a person had touched him. Because if you touch a person with leprosy, you become unclean. And so, and so Jesus breaks that down. <laughs> He breaks down the simple act. All he did was touch the man and it changed everything and the people around him got, got really irritated. Yeah, okay, we're just good. Julie, good luck. Um, the next uh, portion of scripture comes in, in chapter two, verse one, and it, and it starts There's another story that is told about Jesus and he's in the house, he's in Capernaum and he's teaching the people and they've crowded in the house and so nobody can get in. And, and, and there's five people, four friends, and then they have a friend who is paralyzed, is lame, probably in the legs, can't walk. And they, they bring him. They bring him to see Jesus, except they can't see Jesus because there's so many people packed in. And, and they, they go up on the roof of the house, and they, they literally dig a hole in the dirt, mud roof, stucco kind of roof, and they lowered this guy right down in, in front of Jesus. Like... Like, just imagine what that was like. Jesus is there in the room, and these people crowded around him and all this kind of stuff, and all of a sudden the ceiling, and people are like, what's going on? And then this mat gets lowered down, and you're the guy on the mat. How would you feel about that? Like, oh, hello, here I am. Uh, you know, just thought I'd drop in, literally, uh, on, on what's going on. Um, and, and so... so, so your sins are forgiven and the four friends up on the roof are like wait what we didn't that's not why we brought him here Jesus <laughs> we, just in case you wondered he's lame he can't walk he's here the way, like we want healing Jesus says your friends are forgiven because um, who cares about legs in hell so Jesus is taking care of the spiritual issue 
But really, Jesus is doing that because he knows what's going to happen because the religious leaders are packed in around him and they've been asking him questions. As he forgives the sins, the religious leaders think to themselves, nobody can forgive sins but God, and they're angry with him. And then Jesus has the opportunity to say, look, what's easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, take your mat and go, get up and walk and go. Anybody can say, I forgive your sins, it doesn't matter. But if I say, um, get up, take your mat and go, and it doesn't happen, I'm a fraud. So Jesus says that you will know that I have the power, the authority to forgive sins. Rise, take your mat, and go home. And, and, that's, um, and that's what he does. Uh, the paralyzed man was not marginalized because of his because of being lame, because he had friends who were with him and around him and taking care of him. He hadn't been marginalized. He hadn't been marginalized, but, um, but he did have problems. Regardless of how he felt, his friends were going to do everything that they could um, to, to help him, even in spite of him, because the story leads us to believe that the man wasn't really there by choice. And so that's what friends do, right? When we see somebody in, in need, we, we, we deal with it. And so these friends, these four friends, are cooperating with Jesus to meet the needs of the lame man, and they do that through ministry. They're helping. They're partnering with Jesus. And they're saying, we can't do this on our own, but we can do something. We can get him there, and then Jesus can take it um, from there, and so they serve the man for his benefit. I, and it's a very similar to, to what happens on Sunday morning when you show up, and there's somebody out there greeting you, or greeting at the door when you come in, or setting up, or playing in the band, or watching your kids, so that you can be in here. And, and these the, the people who serve are like the four friends, and they're involved in ministry to benefit you. So that we can come in here and sit down and we can hear and listen and we can pay attention. We don't have our kids around us necessarily and we're doing those things, right? This is, this is ministry. This is what it looks like. It takes this community form that brings wholeness and healing to, to the one who is lame or to the one who's struggling, the one who's depressed, the one who's an addict, the one who's going through divorce, the one who's, it doesn't matter what it is. This is what we're together here for each other. It's a beautiful picture of the church. In the next story that Mark tells, Jesus is teaching at the Sea of Galilee, and then he begins to walk back into town. And while he's walking into town, he sees a tax collector's booth. Now, Levi's a tax collector. He is a Jewish man, and he works for the Roman people. Uh, and, and, he, and the Romans is an occupying nation. And he's set up his tax booth in a strategic place because this is a well-traveled um, road from the sea into the city. And um, he probably is taxing fish and other things. There's a lot of trade and things that happen um, across the Sea of Galilee. And so he's set up there so that he can make the absolute most money possible. And because he's a Jew, he's a trader because he's working for the Romans and Jesus is walking with all of these good, clean Jewish people who are following him. And as he walks up the road, he sees this horrible 
unclean trader in his tax collector booth, and he says to Levi, Matthew is his name, he says, follow me. And everybody is absolutely shocked. What in the world is he doing? We're okay with everybody, Jesus, except that guy. Like, we'll even welcome the the leprous guy that you healed, um, and we'll be okay with the lame guy if he wants to follow. But this guy has betrayed us, and he's extorted money from, like, we hate this guy. He's terrible. How can you, how can you do this? And and, and so um, Levi is so happy about what happens that he invites Jesus to his house, and he invites all of his friends. Now, if you are... Um, a tax collector and, and a sinner by Jewish standards, uh, the only friends you have are tax collectors and sinners. And so he invites all his friends, and Jesus shows up to his house, and they have this big, um, they have this big party, and it's a, it's a great time, and, and they're doing good things. And the religious leaders are outside going, this Jesus guy is a fraud, and he's a terrible, unclean person because he's eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors. And, and Jesus says um, this really good um, thing, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so in this third story, Jesus initiates the contact. In the first story, the, the man, the leprous man said, please, Jesus, help me. In the second story, it was the four friends that bring the lame man to him and say, please, Jesus, help him. And in, and in this situation, those were like physical uh, things. In, in this situation, Jesus reaches out to Matthew. He initiates the contact with him, and, and Jesus is functioning then in line with his mission. Line with his mission to welcome everybody into the kingdom of God. Like this is Jesus' whole thing, extending the kingdom of God to those who everyone else thought were outside of it. And, and here's what we learn. You can't look like Jesus if you don't look at others like Jesus. You can't look like Jesus if you don't look at others like Jesus. So I'm going to uh, recap the stories um, r- really, really quickly here um, one more time because there's something really cool, I think, that happens in each of the stories that I want, to, I want to point out. And the first one comes in um, chapter 1, verse 41. Uh, these are I statements. Jesus says, Here's, that's what I'm doing. He says, I am willing. And so Jesus was willing to put his own health at risk in order to bring healing to this leprous man. Jesus says, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do this. And so he touched him, and he and he put himself in a position of risk to do that. In chapter 2, verse 10, Jesus says in, in, in one way or another, he says, I have authority. I have authority to forgive sins. He says, so that you will know that I have authority. The Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on, on earth. He says, rise and, and, and walk. So I have authority. Jesus needed his followers to understand that he had the power to forgive and to heal. And that Jesus wasn't just interested in a person's physical health. He came to restore their spiritual health as well. And so it was a holistic approach 
I'm going to heal your body, but more importantly than that, I'm going to heal you on the inside where there's scars and you're, and you're, and you're damaged in, in here. And then in chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus says, I have come to call sinners. I've come to call sinners. And this was a table-turning moment. Like Jesus says, God's kingdom is for those who know they're dirty, not those people who think they're clean. And remember, this has been the whole Jewish-like way of life. I'm clean, therefore God must accept me. And Jesus is like, no. You, you, like, you're clean on the outside, but you're self-righteous on the inside, and that's not who we're looking for. This kingdom is for those people who understand they're dirty, and they're coming to God to be clean. And so as you consider what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I think we have to ask ourselves um, three questions. Am I willing to risk my social standing in order to show kindness to the marginalized? To, to somebody that everybody else in my class or in my job or in the grocery store is looking at and, and is trying to avoid? Am I willing to risk my social standing in order to touch somebody that everybody else thinks is unclean? Second question. Am, am I willing to risk making a scene so that Jesus might be able to minister to somebody in, in need. Am I going to be like the four friends who tear the roof off so that they can get their, their friend in? Uh, so that Jesus might be able to minister to somebody who really needs him. And, and so that we, we have to be unselfish there, right? Because we have to take ourselves, we have to say, this is going to require work of me to help this person, and I can't even really help them. Jesus is the one that, that has to help them. But am I willing to risk making a scene so that somebody else might be seen by Jesus? Uh, third question, am I willing to risk my reputation for the mission in the hopes that somebody will respond to Jesus? And, and so look, this week when you become aware that you are dehumanizing someone, marginalizing them for whatever reason, treating them based on their disease, based on their circumstance or based on their sin, you're marginalizing them so that you don't have to deal with them, stop, number one, stop in, in the middle of that and do your best to look at that person the way that Jesus looks at you. Because when we think about Jesus looking at us, right, it's always in that picture that's hanging up in like traditional churches where the eyes of the Jesus painting kind of follow you as you walk around the room. You've seen that before. It's kind of creepy. But that's how we think Jesus looks at us. He looks at us that we're clean and we're good, and I showed up at church, and I gave some money, and I served somebody, and I, and I helped. So Jesus loves me, and he looks at me. And so can we look at those people that we've marginalized and pushed aside the way that Jesus looks at, at me or the way that I think Jesus looks at, at me? Can, can we touch them? Can we minister to them? Can we join Jesus on mission for them? Because the world doesn't need more clean people. The world needs more caring people. And, and so if you and I, um, as followers of Jesus, if we don't look at others like Jesus did, how can we look like Jesus at all? Being a Jesus follower is not about um, looking good so that others will point to me and go, there's, there's Jesus. There's somebody who looks like Jesus. 
Because Jesus was never clean and he was never pretty. Jesus was in the gutter and he was in the hospital and he was in the tavern. Jesus got dirty when everybody else thought the way to God was to be clean. And, and I'm not saying that you, <laughs> that you should join others in sin and you should like, oh, let's, let's dive in. But we should join others in an attempt to help lift them out of the sin and help them to see Jesus. And so as a disciple, I, I think there are, there are two areas where God might be calling you to look more like Jesus. And the first area is, is being involved in ministry somehow. And, and maybe, maybe for you, that's being a pastor somewhere. Maybe for you, that's being a, a, a leader in the church or a teacher. Um, maybe it's volunteering, kids ministry or, or welcome team or, or back in the kitchen or something. Um, but it's being involved in ministry like the four friends for the benefit of other people. Maybe you're being called, secondly, to be involved in, in mission. And maybe that's full-time mission work, or maybe just for you, it's like, it's like wherever I am and, and whatever people I, I meet locally or, or globally, I just want to help every person possible find real life in Jesus. And so we're going we're gonna to be on, on mission. So as a believer, as a follower, you might be called to be um, in ministry somehow or, or, or on mission um, with Jesus. You might be called in one of those two areas. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you're dang sure going to be called to do the third one. Every one of us, every one of us that God calls to Jesus, he calls to look more like Jesus by helping the lost and the least, the marginalized. That is every one of our jobs. That's what we're called to do. So, let me leave you with this. Who will you look more like Jesus to this week? It won't be the people that you've been trying to impress. It will be the people you've been trying to avoid. Let's pray. God, thanks for getting us through this morning. Thank you for, um, thank you for Jesus, who was our perfect example. God, our desire is to look um, more like him, and in order to do that, we have to do the things that Jesus did. And so we've got to be involved with the marginalized. We've got to be involved in ministry. We've got to be involved in the mission that you have called us to. And so, um, Father, open our eyes to those around us um, that, that need a touch. They, they need us to touch them, to be aware of them, to see them. And, and help us to do that uh, regardless of what that might mean for us. Um, Father, help us to find a, a way and a place to be involved in ministry, to serve others, even if it costs us, um, and, and then to be on mission with you. And, and God, uh, help me, because, because we can serve the marginalized, we can be on ministry and, and on mission um, here. <laughs> we could do that in our own building. We could do that if we didn't have a place to meet at all. Um, because we're the church. And, uh, and so it's not tied up into, into where we meet. And so, um, Father, help us just to do this, regardless of where we're at. And forever, help us to help every person possible find real life in Jesus, look more like him.
every day. Um, thanks. Thanks, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.